Alright ladies and gentlemen, welcome in episode 207 of the Get Around Podcast. Uh, I am here once again, alone, in the studio, but fortunately I do have the virtual company of Andrew Rosenthal and James Cook. Of course, I am your host, Brendan Queeley, and this is the Get Around Podcast, brought to you by the Traverse City Record Eagle, and of course, let's get the ad out of the way right at the beginning, Jimmy John's, that's who we're brought to you by. Two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's, Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast. Freaky, yeah. Oh, both. In Double stereo. Freaky. In stereo. All right. Uh, well, thanks, guys. Appreciate you being here. Uh, we're doing the show backwards today. Usually, we have we record this part of the podcast um, and make it seem like it's separate, right? We'll, we'll do the, the first third and then the last third. We'll record those, and then after that, we'll, we record the athlete interview. But today is a little bit different because we recorded the athlete interview first, so now we know what they already talked about, which is great. Yeah, no, we had a great conversation this afternoon with uh, Lake City sophomore Mackenzie Bisball and uh, Lake City senior Gavin Bisball, Mackenzie's brother. Yeah, and make sure, you, whole... make sure you t- tune in for that because uh, early on we solved the mystery of whether or not the K in Mackenzie's name is capitalized or lowercase, so it's a big deal. Now that we know for sure, it's a we're gonna our, our prep roundup is gonna be correct from now on. So aside from uh, Mackenzie and Gavin uh, on the show, uh, we will be talking a little bit about the MHSAA transfer rule that had kept their cousin Ali Bisball from playing this year. Uh, we're also going to take a look into the girls basketball district matchups. The, those were just released on Sunday. We will have another athlete uh, inducted into the Get Around Hall of Fame. And we'll wrap it up with the trifecta. And given what happened in uh, Misik over the weekend on Saturday, a double overtime game against uh, Buckley, I thought it would be uh, a Appropriate for us to talk about um, both the best overtime or extra inning games that we've covered as a professional and, of course, the best overtime or extra inning games that we've watched uh, on professional sports or college college sports. Obviously, there's there will certainly be one college game that we talk about, I would assume so. Um, plenty of good ones there. But before we get uh, to, to all of that, um, I'm curious to know from from you guys, and this is brought about because of uh, Harrison Beebe, seven and four sports director. We were I was over at his place, I think Saturday, and um, speaking of Hall of Fame, and not nearly as uh, exclusive as the Get Around Hall of Fame, but the WWE Hall of Fame. They're inducting the Undertaker uh, on the uh, when WrestleMania is coming up. He's going to be inducted into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. And so they were playing the Metallica song, Sad But True, because apparently he used that as one of his intro songs. Now, Harrison did not hear Sad But True. He heard Sand Patrol. Huh? Yeah. Not Sad But True. He heard Sand Patrol. I mean, I get it a little bit. It's sort of there. He's been around, like, the lifetime of this song and did not know the words to it. He, he didn't. He thought it was Sand I mean, Patrol. I mean, I could say the same for like some songs, but not Sad But True, which is the name of the song. Yeah, but. so that's. I'm curious to know, with with that in mind, do you guys have any of 
famous misheard lyrics. Um, I for me, uh, I know that the the Tears for Fears song, uh, everybody wants to rule the world. There's one point where it breaks down, and I think it's uh, there's a room where the light won't find you. I think that might be the correct lyric. I always thought it. There's a room where we're all on fire. The Dukes of Hazard theme music for that one. It was that's just a little bit more than the law will allow. And I heard that's just a little bit more than a mumbling cow. You know, there's this. You know, walking in a winter wonderland. Walking a, around in women's underwear. No, there's that, oh. and then there's a there's a line where later on we'll conspire, but for the. I don't know. For the longest time, it's like Wilkin. I thought it was Wilkin Fire, like, or some some gibberish that just didn't make sense to me. But then there's uh, the classic of locomotion. You know, locomotion. Um, I thought it's uh, a, a swear word, and then another swear word connected to each other. Because like the way it's like it's like the way I think it's Joan Jett saying it, but like the way it the way it sounds on the radio, it sounds like it's too it's like effing BS. Yeah. No, I. I'll have to go back and listen and see if I can hear that. James, are your ears perfect and you don't mishear any lyrics? Uh, I, I know there's a couple. I just can't think of which songs they are off the top of my head. Okay. And so I'm looking up like commonly mistaken lyrics, and some of the ones are pretty hilarious. Nothing as good as <laughs> Sand Patrol, I can't imagine. Harrison's going to love that I brought this up, by the way. He's going to be like, thanks, man. It's not like I wasn't already embarrassed enough. Some of these, like... There's this- there's this YouTuber I listen to, and uh, he's like really big on sausage rolls. Um, you know, he's that's like his brand or Lad Baby is his name, and he did a parody of "We Built This City on Rock and Roll." To we re- we built this city on sausage rolls. Nice. Yeah, apparently, uh, people mistake, mistake uh, what sweet dreams are made of these as sweet dreams are made of cheese. Commonly, I don't know. My dad had a. He used to sing Sweet Dreams Are Made of These Scrambled Eggs, Bacon, and Cheese. Any other ones out there, James, that you're looking up? Because I, I haven't looked any up. I just know that I, I was known for mishearing lyrics in my family. Like, I thought that I thought that Evil Woman was Medieval Woman. Uh, that was a legal woman. You thought it was a legal woman? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't have a whole lot because I tend to have a tendency of, of looking up song lyrics. If I don't think I know them, yeah, very well, and so I you know, mess them up. But one of them is uh, apparently uh, one that gets mistaken a lot is "Living on a Prayer" by Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. and people think that it says it doesn't make a difference if we're naked or not, <laughs> right? Because it doesn't make a difference if we make it or not, right? Yeah. Okay, I like that one. I remember my older brother, and this was obviously the days before the internet, when you could just go up and look lyrics up online. Um, but he had recorded on a cassette um, the Beatles' I Am the Eggman. Is that the title of the song? I Am the Eggman? Something like that? And, like, I don't know why my brother was doing this, but he was he was playing it over and over again, and he would stop at certain points. He was trying to write all the lyrics and figure out what the lyrics were for the song. No idea why he was doing that, but that just popped in my head when you were talking about how you... James, you would go look up lyrics on that. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, there was a time when we couldn't do that. And you had to wait until you bought the cassette or the CD, and you would hope, fingers crossed, that they would the, the inside part of it would have all the lyrics to the songs. 
Andrew, I bet you don't you don't know about that, do you? You don't know the You're talking you don't know a the different pain. language to me, Brendan. You don't know the pain of opening a cassette or a CD and grabbing that and and looking at me hoping for the lyrics and then not being there. You're, you're speaking a different language. You're like, I don't even know what a cassette tape is. Well, I do. It was just like two or three years old when I was using them. So, I've I've heard those are making a comeback now. Cassette tapes are making a comeback, like vinyl made. Like everything, all that stuff is. Even eight tracks are making a bit of a comeback. That's wild. It's weird. Yeah, because cassette tapes blow. Yeah, I don't see any advantage of cassette tapes. Even eight tracks, you can skip from song to song. You know, with the with the eight track player, but cassettes you have to actually just hold the fast forward button down if you want to skip a song. Yeah. And if it if the tape gets out of whack, you got to use a pencil, pencil to you know screw it back in. And... All right. Well, let's get into the the rest of the show. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, a little bit of conversation here. We asked Mackenzie about this uh, during the interview uh, in our area. Ali Bisball. Uh, so she transferred last year from uh, Houghton Lake to Lake City to play with many other Bisballs uh, in the Lake City area. And for some reason, the despite moving, right, her entire family, I believe, believe the entire family moved, despite that, the MHSAA deemed that she was not allowed to compete this year. James, you and I talked about this in the office, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago. We were talking about kind of the, it feels like a double standard or a mistake um, between, it, it just didn't compute what happened to Allie uh, not being able to play and then having Remy Cotton, the former Traverse City Central wrestler, transferring to Davison and him being uh, allowed to play. It just seems like these these rules are often arbitrary, and I don't understand really where the MHSAA is coming from. Yeah, I don't really get it either. I mean, if if that's if the way the the bizball the rules apply to the bizballs, if you're going to apply that evenly to everybody, then you pretty much might as well not even have uh, basketball teams for half of the private schools in the Detroit area, because <laughs> those guys transfer all the time. And basketball, basketball teams in general in the Detroit area, and everyone knows it's athletically motivated. So why are none of these people being declared ineligible? But Ali Bisball, who's transferring back to Lake City because that's where she lives, she went to Houghton Lake because her, I think her mom is a teacher there. Um, and you know that seems like less athletically motivated than family motivated. I just don't. I just don't get why they decided in this case to to apply that rule and ignored it in so many others. I yeah. can understand where state high school associations are coming from. In the, coming from in the case of Christian Boivin, or the more notable case of uh, Arlen Bruce the third, where back in COVID, there if you guys don't remember, but they were back in COVID. There were kids from other states moving into Iowa because that's where they were for sure playing football and they already made it clear they were playing football season there were kids from neighboring states that transferred in and moved in uh teams in the des moines area um bruce was the one that got the most notoriety because obviously he was an iowa state iowa state commit um he eventually got a lawyer and sued the state high school association 
became eligible when like several others uh, were deemed in- ineligible. Um, maybe that was wrong. Maybe they they could have maybe after the lawsuit they would have became eligible and like like Wavin did. But I I think in those in that case it was okay. I can understand where they're coming from. We don't want this to get out of hand. We don't want we want this to stay local sports. We don't want this to become like an all star state where people from like California are moving into Iowa to play football or uh, eventually it worked out for Bruce. I mean, he's starting for Iowa state this year and he was a fantastic football player. When I saw him at a Olathe, whatever, whatever, one of the Olathe schools in Kansas, but um, yeah, I, I, I can see where regulation is needed and where it can get out of hand, but this is not one of those cases. I think where you're transferring to play with one of your family members. We had, what, a, a few years ago, the, the Thomas Kithier case. Uh, with He was a Michigan State commit, I believe, and he wanted to transfer to Clarkston, and I can't remember what school he wanted to leave. Um, <clears throat> but that ended up being a lawsuit as well. We actually had Kithier's lawyers on, or attorneys on this podcast, uh, to talk about it, whatever I would say probably four years ago now uh, at, at this point. So it's been a question for quite a while. And I know there are a lot of coaches out there who have issues with it as, as well. And, you know, it e- either not being enforced in certain situations or being enforced in certain situations that they don't agree with, it really just seems like there's no hard and fast rule here. It is just up to some sort of subjective judgment from MHSAA officials and it would be a pretty helpful I feel like if there if it if there was some a, a greater criteria for what athletically motivated transfers what that means yeah I think it almost seems like the MHSAA doesn't even really look into them unless somebody complains to them about it like otherwise they're just like whatever but then when, if somebody actually says something to them about it, about a kid transferring, like Kithier, or maybe apparently maybe somebody said something about Ali Bisball, I don't know, then they look into it. So maybe their rules are more clear-cut. It's just not a, more, as clear-cut as to what they look at, so, which one they look at. I'll ask you like this All of us have been around high school sports for several years. Like we've, How many times have you heard about a kid transferring or a rumor about a kid transferring? And you're like, well, that sounds weird, but... It's just the way the world we live in, you know? So I'll ask that question. Should it be an issue? Should students transferring to other schools to play sports, should athletically motivated transfers, should that be a problem? Should that be something that is regulated? I think it should be because you don't really want sports to just become the Wild West of a free agency, you know, and and just have an all-star, you know, kids making an all-star team. You know, or something, but because you want to keep sports kind of the pure community-based thing and everything, but at the same time, you've got to balance that with uh, being fair to these kids. And if you know their family moves or they move or all this stuff, you can't punish them for that. Yeah, I'm kind of on the side with James. Is like we you have to have some sort of rule, but. I don't like that there's kind of like a end-all decision, like, okay, let's hear all sides of the cases and then let's make a decision. 
I don't think that works in the case of transfers. I think that there has to be a little bit more ironed out regulations. Okay, what is what would be considered an athletically motivated transfer in this 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 situation, and what would be considered a um, normal transfer in this 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 situation? I think we need more ironed out uh, language to say that, and not just have it come down to one person saying one way or the other. Is that the way it is in Michigan? I'm not 100 percent sure. I've never transferred between two schools uh, to play a different sport. Um, but uh, I, w- I think there definitely needs to be like a doc- like a, a public document that says either the, this is what we what we consider an athletically motivated. This would it be? So what's yeah, the difference then with an academically motivated <laughs> transfer? Right? What about right. families that move and they change schools? They're like, just because that school has a better academic reputation, mm-hmm. should that be regulated? I mean, it can't. <clears throat> But what's the difference there? Yeah, I think the some of the some of the guidelines and rules with the athletically motivated transfers. If your parents move and you go with them, you're going to be okay. Like if your parents move into that district, and so you can have a completely athletically motivated transfer, but the parents are behind it and they rent a new place in that tra- that district that you want to go to then it's okay, and pretty much I don't think the MHSA can do much about it. You could argue the Petersons when they moved to Kingsley. You can almost argue the same way, that, that, but the mom is a teacher at Kingsley, and they rented a place in Kingsley. So it was, you know, the, the MHSA couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So I guess to clear up one thing that I one point that I made, there is a document on the MHSA website that rules like situations where they they would consider it an okay transfer, or which in situations they would consider an athletically motivated transfer. It's only three pages though, and I, I guess I'm trying to argue is like okay, we need a little bit longer one that's not boilerplate language. They're not like doesn't have like the legalese like oh like even if this happens or. Um, like I would want something longer. Someone that is in charge of this, someone whose job is to regulate transfers and have them be like a lawyer per se. Someone with a legal background, not not like an athletic director background. I don't know. Maybe maybe something more. I just I look at a situation like with Ali Bisball, and I'm like, she loses a year of high school being able to play. That sucks. You only get four years in high school, and if you're lucky, you get to play varsity all four years, but realistically, you're going to play varsity junior, senior year. So I, th- I just think it's tough to, to do that to those kids. I, I do understand that there does need to be some sort of regulation. I just wish that in a lot of cases it was f- more fair and that there wasn't uh, these differences in rulings and similar uh, or or even more apparent situations when it was athletically motivated but all right let's uh move on we had the girls districts that were released on sunday uh talk about a few matchups that we have coming up next week um for our traverse city teams um, the titans traverse city west will be hosting petoskey on monday the central girls uh, they get a bye and they'll play the winner of the West Petoskey game. Uh, St. Francis is um, hosting Mancelona, and they'll get the winner uh, in, in the 
or the winner of that game will get Elk Rapids uh, on the other side of that bracket. Uh, you've got Glen Lake undefeated. Um, so that sets up what should be a, another really good game between non-conference rival schools. I, I really like the the Glen Lake St. Francis rivalry that goes beyond basketball. Like it's a good rivalry and was a good rivalry um, in, in volleyball for for quite a while. Um, I would imagine that we might end up getting that game. Um, are there matchups here that you guys are, are looking forward to? Yeah, I think the one thing I'm pleased about with the, the district that TC Central and TC West are in is it seems like the district semifinal has been in the past couple of years. It's winner goes to Marquette, and it's like, okay, that's not really – it's like, okay, is, are we getting something here? Like, we after a win, we're going to have to drive all the way up to Marquette, you know? Um, and it's actually the other way around where winner goes to Traverse City. Um, it's going to be either Petoskey or TC West or Central, but you're going to have either Gaylord, Alpina, or Marquette coming down to face one of those teams. So it's, it's good to see a change there. I like the way to see that that – yeah, I mean, you got some districts that are uh, going to be some pretty good matchups. I think in the in the finals, you you're not seeing as many of those uh, early because of the new seeding system. You're not seeing those early matchups where it's two really really good they have two best teams playing in the final or the opening round on Monday. Right. So, you know, that's the good thing about the seeding is that you you have those games. I guess any more, I don't know, meaningful so to speak championship game on Friday, you know, like Sault Ste. Marie and Kingsley probably you're looking at in the Division Two district at Boyne City, you know. You've got the district at, at Grayling where it's it's interesting because it's Grayling and then four teams from the Highland Conference, but you could have a finals of, you know, Lake City against Manton in in that final, so. Likely going to see Gaylord St. Mary versus Bel Air. Yeah, yeah, this seems to be a big Ski Valley game over the years. Big rivalry, yeah. obviously, so is Bel Air that snaps St. Mary's streak. Um, they've traded the Ski Valley Conference the last couple of years, and I they played in the regionals last year, but get St. Mary only had six players at the time. So I always like to see that game happen in the postseason when you can. Yeah, and it's tough because in the district round, you've got all of these teams, and you know so many are going to suffer heartbreak and and go home much earlier than they wanted to. Just because the way they seeded it, you know. Yeah. Because uh, St. Mary, but like I said, St. Mary and Bel Air happened in regional last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but hopefully, hopefully those games that get played on Monday and and Wednesday are a little more evenly matched. You hope because of that, uh, you know that the the top two seeds are on cla- on a collision course to play each other on Friday. Um, I mean, you've got districts like the one at uh, Forest Area where you know it looks like the. The top two teams are going to be Lake Leland, Austin, St. Mary, and, and Mesick, and which is interesting because the Mesick girls are in Division Four, but the Mesick boys are in Division Three by one kid. Wait, explain that to me. Because they're right, they're so on the on right on the border between Division Three and Four that there's a couple few schools, few fewer schools that have girls basketball. So the divisions just divides the total number by four. Okay, and puts them up that way. So if there's not the same number of schools that have boys and girls basketball, you can have those teams that are right on the edge be in two different divisions in their sports. And we had that last year, I think, in districts for softball and baseball, where the yeah. baseball team was in Division three and the softball team was in Division four. Any surprise teams that you guys see? Anyone that has uh, a good path 
to uh, a district title? I know we had mentioned Kingsley as, as possibly one coming out of their district. Yeah, Kingsley's got the winner of Boyne City and Sheboygan in the second round. And then the other two teams on that bracket are Sioux and Kalkaska. Um, the Sioux would be traveling to Kingsley in the event of a district final. Uh, that's a pretty compelling matchup to me. Sioux has always had a really good growth team, but Kingsley, as we've seen here, has just been playing well for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Kingsley's kind of one of those underlooked teams this season. You know, they won a, lost a few games early on, and uh, I think a lot of people kind of discounted them, but they've really kind of bounced back this season. Um, another interesting district is the, the one in Brethren. I think you'll see a final between Frankfurt and Manistee Catholic, and that seems like a pretty good matchup between two pretty good teams there. I think I'm going to throw, uh, not my support, but I'm really interested to see what Manton is going to do in the playoffs because I think they're winners of seven or eight in a row at this point. And they've, after a really difficult start to the season, it seems like they have all learned to play together. And you've got Lauren Wilder, who is right now um, playing either at or near the top of her game. And it'll be really, really interesting to see what they do, considering the run that they're on. You want to be hot going into the postseason. You want to be on a roll. And Manton will be in the Lake City District, and that segues perfectly into our interview with the Lake City's Mackenzie and Gavin Bisball. Why don't we go ahead and take a listen to that right now? All right, it is my pleasure now to welcome in the Bizballs, Mackenzie and Gavin. Uh, really appreciate the both of you jumping on here, and I want to start with this right away because it has been a conversation uh, in the office. Mackenzie, is it a capital A or capital K or a lowercase k in your name? It's capital K. Capital K. All right. So now we know, guys, when we're doing prep roundup. Mm-hmm. I was you know. right. You were right. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks for being on, on the show. Uh, we we do appreciate it. Uh, I now that we've got the lowercase and uppercase mystery solved, uh, I'm curious to know what this season has been like uh, for the both of you as you're playing basketball together, but not together. You know, at the at the same time, but you're obviously not on the same team. It, so far, our seasons have been pretty good. Um, we've grown a lot as a team and individually. So. We've made a lot of improvements in playing, having my brother, like playing at the same school, like being in high school at the same time. It's a pretty cool thing to do. What sort of uh, influence does he have on you? Well, we always kind of challenge each other to do better and who can push each other to do better and improve more. So having him pushes me definitely to do more and get better as an individual player. What part of your game is better than his, and Gavin, what part of your game is better than hers? I She can definitely shoot better than I can, but I'm just a lot bigger, so like closer to the rim, I got more like bully ball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just talk about the, the family and how you've got all the cousins and you know, the older ones that have already graduated and everything, and how much of an influence this, the whole Bisball family has had on Lake City basketball, both, both on the boys' and girls' teams over the years. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of influence. Actually, we all live next to each other. We're all neighbors. So, uh, like, growing up, we all used to, we'd go out to the garage and outside. We'd, we'd shoot all summer. We'd, like, run up against each other playing 
year-round against each other, so that's helped a lot. Yeah, d definitely having, like, all your family close. And we are, we are all just interested in basketball and, like, getting better. So we would just put our time in, and over the summer we would just work with each other and make each other better by just going out in the pole barn and playing basketball every day. Tell us about the pole barn, then. Pole barn? <laughs> we got our two mobile hoops set up, and we got an outside court, so... If it's nice weather out, we'll go out there. And if not, then we'll just play inside and turn the music on, play some basketball. So I'm curious to know uh, your feelings on uh, Allie not being able to, to play this year because of the MHSAA transfer rule. Uh, yeah. How do you, you know, how do you both feel about that? I, I did not like that. I, it, it's very hard for her to not play. And it's like so much fun to play with her because we just have so much chemistry together so not being able to play with her and having her sit out I know it's like torture for her but yeah it's going to be fun next year to play with her and I'm excited for that wasn't it her Houghton Lake team that knocked you guys out last year in districts yeah that must have been fun to, <laughs> like, but like fun for her but like not maybe for you so yeah well, it was Allie and Macy yeah our her oh, older sister which plays at Grand Valley, so. but it's fun because I play AAU with her, so we get to go all summer long playing AAU together, so I'm excited for that. What are you okay. expecting it to be like next year, having her on the court with you? It will be, it'll be very fun. It will definitely be helpful, and she's a very, very, very good player, so we can just get that much better as a team and grow a lot. Yeah, how, how are you guys going to coexist on the court together? Being, I mean, you're about six foot tall. She's six three. How's yeah. it's going to look? <laughs> it's going to look pretty good. <laughs> um, one question, I guess, I got for Gavin is: uh, so, how much do you and Darren work on that pass off the ba backboard on the fast break for uh, oh. dunk? Actually, before ever, I don't think we ha had ever practiced it. Like we just kind of, I mean, I was just. When it first happened in Everett, I uh, was just, he stole the ball, and I said Darren, and he just kind of looked back at me and threw it up, and, and it's happened a couple times after that. So, I mean, we don't really practice a lot. Yeah. Did you, so did you start practicing it after that first time then? Yeah, we yeah we throw a couple times, but I mean, it just it just kind of happens. Yeah. Talk about that Everett game when you, when you guys both had huge monster nights on the same night. Well, we came out. That was a fun night. We came out, and both of us were hitting everything, grabbing every rebound. And Darren and I, we just have a pretty good connection. So, I mean, it was, it was a fun night. Yeah, I remember seeing Mackenzie's tweet, and I can't remember what you said. It was, it was like 58 points between the two of you and 35 boards. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Gavin, uh, what's been your, your favorite dunk uh, in live action? Yeah, my favorite dunk this year was against uh, Aaron threw me another uh, lob off the backboard. Now, did you happen to watch, did you guys watch the uh, NBA dunk contest on Saturday? Yeah, I did. I, did. I was, I mean, it's I was okay. expecting a little bit more. Yeah, we were all disappointed. So, I, I, was over, I was over at my buddy's house, we were watching it, and at one point we are just like, let's just watch the 2016 dunk contest. Yeah. That's what no, we did. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think we should have a record eagle dunk contest. 
of like all the kids in our area that can dunk. Just, who who would win that? Who would win that? Yeah. Um, Dylan, Dylan's Dylan can jump. Craig from Grayling, Dylan Craig. Yep. Brady, Ewing from Petoskey, he probably put something up. I don't know. I could I could maybe put something up. So. <laughs> Yeah. Are you uh, AU teammates with uh, those guys at Parallel Forty Five? Yeah, I played uh, some ball with them this summer. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to ask about that team because there's like it seems like it's the all-star team of Northern Michigan uh, high school sports. You know, you got Dylan, you got Caden from Trevor City Central, and a couple of the guys from Benzie. What um, after after you play with those guys, like it, do you, is it like kind of like a different relationship when you see them on the court again? Yeah, definitely. Well, because uh, I also played with Trevor and Joel. So uh, we kind of have, like, a, not more of a connection, but I kind of got to know them more. So playing against them makes the game a lot more fun. Know a lot more people around the area, a lot more basketball players. Yeah, especially playing in the same league as those guys. You're going to play them twice a, twice a year for real. We were going to have you on last week, but you guys were doing the uh, the Rotary Camp, volunteering yeah. Rotary Camp thing. Tell us about that, what it is you do there, and, and how, how that goes on. Usually the sixth graders go, but since last year of COVID – um, this year's seventh graders couldn't go. So we went with the seventh grade group and uh, you just go and we're basically counselors. So you just keep an eye on the kids and oh, they have like activities they go to and just make sure they're having a fun time. So it's just a fun experience for them. Yeah, so we, we go stay at uh, this place. It's called Camp Rotary. It's in uh, just north of Clare. We stay there for the week and the kids, they get to climb uh, climbing tower, they get to rappel, go ice fishing, cross country skiing, something fun. Our school's done for thirty plus years, so yeah. something fun to go do. So, how many kids did you lose while you were out there? <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, one. A girl ran away. Oh man, <laughs> I was just joking. I didn't think they were gonna actually like. Yeah, we lost. We haven't found. We haven't found her yet. It's never happened, but they found her. Do you have to be? disciplinary with them or are the kids pretty good uh for the most part they're pretty good obviously there's some kids that don't want to listen but the kids they know they're they're away from school for the week they're having fun so you guys are probably a little more lenient and like, yeah. yeah i get you back to basketball i wanted to ask you mckenzie you have two division one offers as a sophomore <laughs> so what's what's the what's the recruiting process look like for you like were you were you getting looks when you're in eighth grade or freshman or yeah, so um, last was the first summer of AAU basketball where college coaches kind of start looking at you. So um, over the summer, I would just – my AAU coach would send me contact info, and I would just keep in touch with them. And about every other week, I'd call and just touch up and ask questions. So it was pretty fun. I like yeah. North Dakota and Western Michigan are the two, or have you gotten any more? Not Western. I've been offered from Grand Valley, North Dakota, Paris, and then um, I think another, a couple other schools. I'm not sure. I would have to, yeah. How does it feel to know that you're going to be playing basketball in college if that's the, the route you choose to go? It's exciting. I definitely do want to go play college basketball, and I know that's what I'm going to do. I'm excited to just get better and I'm excited for the next level of competition uh, because it just feels good when I don't know. I just like the idea of going to play college basketball and making myself a better player and a better team player. 
But like at the same time, remember, uh, I, I got to feel like it's, it's kind of weird talking about college as a sophomore, <laughs> as a yeah. freshman in high school. It's like, okay, you got to finish high school at the same time, like first, you know? It definitely is a little scary thinking about it because I am only a sophomore and it's kind of like everything's coming really fast, but I'm super excited for it all and I'm ready for it. So Mackenzie, I, I heard that you can dunk as well, right? You dunk the <laughs> day? I'm nine foot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have to lower the hoop all the way down to the lowest possible, and then I have to use a, like a half-deflated basketball. That's the only <laughs> way that I can dunk. Gavin, what are your plans after your, your senior year? What does the future after look like? I, uh, I'm going to Grand Valley for, uh, to get a degree in accounting. Okay. You going to play basketball there as well? I decided I don't want to play basketball. What was uh, the process with that decision? Um, I mean, obviously I love basketball, but I just felt like it would be too much for me. So I just decided I didn't feel like I needed to play or I wanted to play. But, I mean, you can watch two of the best uh, – The best, are they your cousins or brother or sister at Grand Valley? Riley and my sister and then uh, Macy, my older cousin, they both play basketball there. So I wanted to go back to your childhood is there a moment between the two of you that that sticks out, you know, in, involving uh, basketball? Is there one memory, Mackenzie, that you have, you know, being with your brother and Gavin, vice versa? Same question. I can just always remember when, um, even when we just started basketball in school, when Gavin was playing like fourth and fifth grade basketball, and my dad was the coach. I remember just going to their practices and just watching and being like, I want to do that. I just always remember being kids when we'd play basketball. Kenzie and I, we'd always one on one, or Riley and I. And the girls, they never wanted to play against me because they said I was aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> were you too aggressive? I mean, you were just, you were talking earlier about bully basketball, so were you too aggressive? I mean, probably yes. for being out, out in the pole barn or outside. <laughs> so are we like, are you clearing out and throwing elbows or? No. No, I mean... Uh, I like that she's... Mackenzie's shaking her head like, yeah, I took an elbow in the face. And I dropped my shoulder into him. And... <laughs> it's all in the spirit of competition, especially in yeah. a family. So I, I know how competitive families can be. Do you find yourself more competitive with your family? Yeah, I feel, I feel like I do. I feel like there's more of an edge. Yeah, because you want to be better than, the, than your siblings. I'm thinking back to... Uh, tweet i saw from my, one of your coaches but you guys had a christmas scrimmage where all the all the cousins and sisters went up against each other in the lake city gym do you remember that we uh us boys we had a practice in like riley macy mackenzie alley my uh, younger cousin corbin they were all there so it was like all the biz balls and then they were practicing against the boys varsity <laughs> so did anyone beat did anyone beat each other in matchups like those are probably the things you guys dream about about <laughs> I mean it was going back and forth <laughs> did you guys just play a game like a, a straight up game or did you do anything like you guys... uh, we we just like worked on like half court offense and like okay. we they would just sub in it was like I mean ran up a little bit but yeah so I'm curious to know because I I've heard that it's it's called it's got a different name through different parts of the country but I I know it as knockout which is everyone lines up at the free throw line Right, and you guys, I'm sure you've played this game, right? Yeah. What do you guys call it? I've heard it called lightning. Uh, call it pressure. I call, call it lightning. 
I call it pressure. Pressure. Okay. Yeah. So it, growing up for me, it was knockout. Andrew, you know this game, right? What did you call it? Of course. Uh, losing. You call it losing. Okay. James, did it's you play that I don't game? Want to do. <laughs> well, of course I played it, but I've not won it. Oh my god, that was like my that was my favorite game that we would play uh, in gym class and basketball practice. I would do that all day. Unfortunately, like I don't have the a, a long list of friends to play that with now, and I'm 37 and probably couldn't shoot a basketball that well. But I've been down the Lake City gym twice in the past year or so um, for uh, I think it was Bel Air and Saginaw and Novell and Districts, and then I went to the football scrimmage. But one thing I've noticed is you guys have one of the coolest gyms I've seen in northern Michigan. With uh, it's always well lit, is that, and then there's a weight room above. Is like, what do other teams uh, say about that when they come in? Very fortunate to have it. It's a very nice facility to go on and get some shots up and lift. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, Gavin McKenzie, thank you both very much for joining us. Uh, good luck going forward, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, thanks again to Mackenzie with a capital K and Gavin with a capital G and Bizball with a capital B for being on the Get Around podcast with us. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll look forward to seeing what the Lake City girls are going to do in districts next week and the Lake City boys uh, in districts the following week. So uh, we put that brother-sister combo into the Get Around Hall of Fame two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Not sure when it or was. Or the Hubbard game they talked about. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so that, again, another perfect segue into the Get Around Hall of Fame. This week we've got three nominees. Uh, the Get Around Hall of Fame is brought to you by Jimmy John's, uh, two locations in Traverse City, Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast, Jimmy John's. Freak out. All right, so uh, Get Around Hall of Fame. James, I want you to kick this one off because this was a game that we didn't get to go to, and this is a game that I'm very upset that we didn't get to go to. Yeah, because it was a Saturday night game at 6.30. And we have and an that- early deadline. Yeah, we had an earlier deadline on Saturday night, so it was something we couldn't cover. And then it went into double overtime. Uh, yeah, talk we, about a kick in the groin. We're like, it'll be, you know, it'll be fine. Yeah, it should be a decent game between Buckley and Misik. And then mm-hmm. they go two OTs. And normally we don't put somebody up from a, a losing team very much. But in that game, Kyle Kazanowski had one of the most dominant scoring games in in our coverage area this season, he scored 40 points. And in the, in that losing effort, they lost 78 to 72 in overtime. So he scored over half of their points in that game. And, uh, Rock project was the only other guy to score 40 this year that I'm aware of. I believe so in our, our coverage area. Yeah. 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 Kevin Wink led that 38 point game. So if anyone wants to score 41 in the playoffs, uh, you know, where, you know who to call. <laughs> well, I think with the playoffs open is uh, a little more room for for offense. Like, I think coaches won't be holding back as much uh, in the playoffs as we see them do sometimes in the regular season. So. Yeah, I mean, Buckley scored 100 in the playoffs one year, I believe, when James was covering that game. 
that was in the playoffs. It was a regular season game, but yeah, they did score a hundred on Sutton's Bay years back, back in the, uh, you know, Denver Cade, Austin Harris, Joey Weber years. Brock Beeman. The only other team I'm aware of scoring, uh, hitting the century mark this year was Onway, and they did that against Forest Area. Um, and then hit while nine, breaking a couple days later. Oh, yeah, while broke. breaking the state record for the most points in the quarter, and they're going to face Mansfield for the Ski Valley title likely this week. So, uh, looking to see what the uh, what the outcome of that game is going to be. But my Hall of Fame nomination is going to be Dutch Ballon from Traverse State Central. You know, he's he's been good all year. Um, I, I knew he was capable of going to the state finals. He did it as a freshman. Um, but he won the regional at 130 at Division One in Midland uh, with a 3-0 record, 39-second um, pin, and then he majored his next two guys. So he's going into the state finals with a 33-2 and record. And uh, like you said, he was key placed his freshman year, so I, I like his chances there. All right, I'm going to put up uh, another Trojan, stay in Traverse City Central and uh, freshman forward for the varsity hockey team. Luke Vanderost, uh, he scored the game-winning goal in the McCulloch Cup against the, of course, Crosstown rival Traverse City West, uh, giving the Trojans their 20th McCulloch Cup title in the 25 years uh, of the game. And, yeah, it was just interesting talking to that kid. Afterward, I was there covering the game, and uh, West took a 1-0 lead. Central tied it back up on a, a turnover in front of the net. Shea Harmison, unassisted goal. And then uh, Vanderos did the game winner, or the eventual game winner, because the final was actually three to one. Uh, but the, it was a, an empty netter that was added with uh, two seconds left uh, in the game. It was a really competitive game, but yeah, Luke Vanderos is will be my nomination this week for the get around, get around Hall of Fame. All right, James, you went first, so let's get your vote first. Oh, that's that's a tough call. You know, this, I'll. Uh, and Kazanowski's 40 is tough. But they yeah, are. this week there's not a runaway yeah. winner. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I'm a wrestler, so I'm just going to go with the wrestler. I'm going to go over Dutch. Going Ballard. Dutch. Andrew. Ooh. I like Kyle's game, and I drafted him on my team, so I'm going to go with him with a 40-point game against uh, Mamisic. All right, I'm going to go with Luke Vanderost. we got to put all three uh, of them in. What? All right. we got to put work. all three. Each one gets a vote. Uh, a vote. So congratulations, Luke Vanderost, Kyle Kazanowski, and Dutch Ballin. You are the latest inductees into the Get Around Hall of Fame, the most exclusive club in northern Michigan. Okay, get into the trifecta now. And also, again, uh, inspired by that Buckley and Misik overtime game, uh, I'm curious, Andrew, I know you've, I don't know if you've, in your sports writing career, how many OT or extra inning games you've covered? Um, but I'm curious Probably to know if, if yeah, there's no, I, is I there have, anyone that stands one out? There, there's is there one that stands out? Yeah, it's actually a basket. It's a bis, yeah. It's yeah, a baseball game. A girls, no, <laughs> it's a it's going to be a basketball district final for girls. Um, we. We're talking about this on the podcast uh, Monday before, and we're like, I think Elser really is a chance to win this district. Like, uh, this is when St. Mary was playing with six players, and we're like, all right, we'll go up to Central Lake, and it's the only district final that's happening on a Wednesday. Um, that's why we covered it. Um, wasn't any really reason other than that, and it was uh, Gaylord St. Mary versus Ellsworth. And then, so Ellsworth had at the time Alexis Danforth and Judy Valboom student sections flocked with uh, their boys team who all traveled to Central Lake. You know, it's also an Antrim County team. 
back and forth game the whole game. I think they led St. Mary at halftime, and it's like, okay, this, this has to go down to overtime, and it did. Uh, and you know, Miriam Morell, Miriam Morell was playing on the bench, sitting on the bench the whole game. She was, she had maybe been in the game like one or two minutes each time, just to give girls like an extended water break. But she was a freshman. She was sitting on the bench and you know just kind of watching. Well, Ava Schultz fouled out. So, so that forced her into the game in like crunch time, and guess who hits the game-winning three-pointer? Tell me, Miriam Morell, buzzer beater with like three seconds left on the clock, uh, or thirty seconds left on the clock. Um, it was like a play, you know they they're looking at uh, they double team Sidney Grzynski, and and Miriam's wide open, so they pass it to her, and as soon as she got the ball took a shot for a three-pointer, gives them the district title. That's one of my, it ended up being one of my favorite stories I've written just because, like, the cool, like, okay, this, like, this actually happened, and she doesn't she doesn't really shoot the ball that much is what uh, Coach Patchell said is about that. So, I, uh, that was, that one was fun. That's, I like that. I like covering that one. James, what about you uh, in your professional career? Um, well, for overtime games, there's one that's, that, that really sticks out because it uh, just kept going and going and going and going and going. And that was uh, back in 2014 when the Bay Reps played Traverse City West in, in hockey. The game went to seven overtimes before Jeez. it was finally decided. And uh, How long were the OT periods? I think the OTs were five minutes each. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it just kept going until somebody scored a goal and nobody scored a goal and the coaches kept shortening their benches and, and they were only playing two lines pretty much on all the overtimes. And uh, it, the game just kept going and going and going. I remember calling and, or texting Denny Chase back then and just saying, uh, yeah, we're going to the fifth. And then Colin, after Colin again, yeah, we're going to the sixth overtime. Yeah, we're going to the, finally somebody scored a goal in the seventh overtime. But it was like past eleven o'clock by then, or like eleven thirty or something. Those kids had to be exhausted. They, yeah, they were, they were so tired. And, and the amazing thing was, those kids were back in school the next morning. Yeah, like the game didn't end until after eleven o'clock, and uh, so we barely got anything in on that game because it was so late by the time it was over. We got in just a very short like five or six inch synopsis of the game and how it ended and stuff like that and then the next day we came back with a huge profile on the game and i was interviewing kids while they were in school on facebook messenger because they were in school and it was my day off so i'm just like i don't want to work at night on my day off right but i did during the day and i'm like okay i'm just messaging these kids on mess facebook messenger and asking them questions and getting comments from them and stuff like that and and the game just went up forever. And I think it was the second longest game in Michigan history and one of the five longest in United States high school hockey history. Wow. The only longer game in Michigan history was when, and I can't remember who they were playing, but Marquette, I think it was Marquette, Marquette or Sault Ste. Marie, it was one of the UP teams, was playing somebody in the state finals down in, uh, you know, down in Plymouth. And that game, I think, went to eight overtimes. And then after the eighth overtime, the MHSAA just called the game 
and said, you're both state champions. We have to play another game here. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. For mine, and it's it's going to seem weird that it's a, a JV girls basketball game, but that is my most memorable. So this is the first game that I covered back when I was working for the Rantoul Press. This was the first. It was my first assignment was going to this game, uh, and it was two teams that were in my coverage area playing each other. So it was Rantoul and Fisher. Those were the two teams, the Rantoul Eagles and the Fisher Bunnies. And I looked at the game time. I was like, oh, okay, so it starts at 5.30. That was when I didn't realize that they played JV first and then varsity. So I got there at 5.30, to, and it, when I was there, I was like, oh, it's the JV game. But I'm like, I guess I, I can cover that too. Uh, and it went to three overtimes and had uh, legit buzzer beaters to send it to OT and then send it to a second OT and then send it to a third OT. I remember the one that sent it to a third overtime, uh, Kayla Johnson, there was, I think, maybe 1.7 seconds left on the clock. She got uh, it passed into her, and she just hucked it up. Just it, it did not look like a basketball shot at all. She just threw it toward the basket, and it went in nothing but net. And it was it was seriously one of the wildest games uh, that I had ever been a part of, and it was just so weird that that was my that was my first assignment, that was my first game, uh, and even though it was a JV girls basketball game, uh, I think the final ended up being uh, 56 to 53, but it was yeah that was a that was an interesting one for sure. What about the ones that you guys have watched uh, on TV? I know that there was the uh, Syracuse UConn college basketball game back in. Oh, man, I can't remember what year it was. Uh, but it went to six overtimes. Uh, I remember watching that one. Uh, that was a good uh, overtime thriller. I still think that's probably, that's got to be the longest. Has anyone, any college basketball game gone more than six overtimes? Was there one that went, like, nine? I can't remember that. Probably my, there was the Kansas-Oklahoma uh, triple overtime game back when they were both, there was, like, they were both getting like the same number one votes, and I remember seeing that on TV. I wasn't even a student there at the time, but Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, and Trey Young for Oklahoma—that was that was probably one of the great game. But what I witnessed as a fan was uh, the KU West Virginia game the next year. Graham's back, um, Mason's back, Kansas, and then obviously they had Josh Jackson from Detroit um, was on that team. Uh, goes in the West Virginia is leading by 20 with like two minutes to go. Kansas comes back in overtime and wins it. That was uh, pretty fun to be a fan for and be in the stands for. James did, was uh, Maglio or Donia's, was his homer to send them to the World Series? Was that in extra innings or was that bottom nine? I think it was bottom nine. Was it? Okay. Yeah, but that that was a you know crazy ending to That's a game. still one of my, I like, Again, yeah. I'm a, a diehard White Sox fan, and Mags was on the White Sox for a while, but that has to be one of the prettiest home runs and one of the coolest home runs uh, I have ever seen. So, yeah, I, maybe that was bottom nine. In terms of professional sports, for me, it has to be game three of the 2005 World Series, as I once again bring up the Chicago White Sox. Um, I remember staying up 
for that game, and I think it ended at one. I have it written down on a post-it note, but it, I think it was either, I believe it was 1:27 a.m. Central Standard Time uh, when that game finally ended, or maybe Central Daylight Time. I don't know when that game finally ended. But I remember being up and just being excited every single inning that continued to go on. I think it went uh, 13, 14 innings, 14 innings. Yeah, it went 14 innings with uh, Jeff Blum hitting uh, a home run in the the top of the 14th and then Mark Burley my favorite pitcher of all time coming out and getting the save he was a starter but he came out and he got the save and rumor has it is that he had been drinking uh, in the locker room while that was going on and uh, was drunk when he got that uh, that World Series save and of course Mark Burley is the same guy that used to come out during rain delays and do the tarp slide until the White Sox gave him a think a four-year $56 million contract and said uh, you can't do that anymore because you're going to hurt yourself. So yeah, that's my that's my favorite one. James, you got a, a good college or pro one that you liked? Uh, yeah, the, the 1993 uh, NFL wildcard game between the Houston Oilers and the Buffalo Bills. And this is this is the big comeback game where uh, Houston led 28-3. to so it was the biggest comeback in playoff history before the the Falcons completely threw that game away against the Patriots. That was also the, twenty-eight to three. Yeah, and and uh, they were actually down by thirty-two at one point in this game after a pick six early in the second half, and then they came back. The Bills were, or the Oilers were. The Bills were down. Okay. Yeah, this was during the um, the Jim Kelly days, right when they had four back to back. They 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 went to four consecutive Super Bowls and yeah. lost all. Of them. Yeah, yeah. So they ended up going to the Super Bowl after this too. Um, came back from being down thirty two, and ended it with a backup quarterback playing too, because Kelly was hurt in that game. Oh. So they played with Frank Reich the rest of the game, and uh, he led that comeback, and they ended up winning it in, in overtime. The overtime itself wasn't that. Great. I mean, it was you know just a, a regular field goal, but uh, it was just just the fact that they came back from that gigantic deficit, came back in the second half, and then tied it and won it in overtime. All right, very cool. Um, that'll wrap things up. That'll wrap up the show. Wrap up the conversation. Wrap up episode two hundred and seven of the Get Around Podcast. Uh, again, I would like to thank. Mackenzie and Gavin Bisball for joining us. I know we were supposed to have them last week. I'm glad that we were able to get things and get them on on this week. Uh, They were great to talk to. Uh, Thanks to Andrew. Thanks to James. And uh, thank you to our wonderful Audible viewers. Uh, This has been episode 207 of the Get Around Podcast. And we'll see you next week.